Hey guys, welcome to another episode of MC Anime. I'm MC Anime, and how are we doing today, Leah? I'm doing great. Welcome back, guys, to another episode. I'm excited about this one. And for anyone that doesn't know, this is the 24th episode. So we're so. really racking this season up and having really good cheer with it. So what are we discussing today? So today's topic is actually going to be about the evolution of anime and its art style and its illustrations, like from its conception up until now. Because I think that anyone who has ever watched even an episode of anime, you'll be able to see kind of like the very distinct themes and um, characteristics that that all of our favorite characters have, but then also how those styles vary from decade to decade. Yep. So, and with the anime across the decades theme, um, there's like different chapters in which the technology is available and and what they were able to do. Because not all anime is as detailed as we have now as we had then. So just keep that in mind. And sometimes the money wise wasn't big, so they had to really go low scale production and try to save ways to save money as well. Mm-hmm. Very true, very true. Um, so I guess we can start from the beginning. So when it comes to anime, um, the I would say the very first release one that was classified was all the way back in 1917. So when anime first started, um, there was a very short, like two-minute clip that was released by um, Koichi Junichi. Um, and it was called Blunt Sword. That was just about a, a swordsman who had gotten, like a samurai who got like a really dull blade and was going through like a tizzy because of it. But for most of like the first released anime, it was all um, propaganda because it was during the war. It wasn't until we kind of got into like the 50s and onwards that, yeah. well, I'm probably even like the 70s, that we actually got to get stuff like a, uh, like what, Astro Boy, um, yep. we got our Gundams, we got our Lupin the Thirds, Cowboy Bebop, the Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball, One Piece, and onward. So where where it started to what it is now is such a huge difference. Um, oh, yeah. That it's, yeah, that it's not even just the style itself. It's also like the history of it and what what it was used for. It wasn't really used for entertainment back then. And yeah. like the Japanese government, especially um, during the World Wars and in the fifties and sixties, yeah. had a really tight grip on um, what you could produce and what was released to people. So oh, yeah. it wasn't always like wild concepts and like harem scenes. <laughs> it was always yeah. it was always something else. Um, but I love what it turned into. And uh, before the uh, production of animation on a wheel like wheel and tape, the technique in which they use was like comic strips was just highly popularized. Um, do that, that is where manga comes into play like way later down the road. But generally speaking, you know, you may have like a device to see different still images and that's what like a form of animation but it was mostly like stop frame animation. So before actually animation, like moving clips on a screen was seen, you only had like the, the concept of stop frame animation. Yeah. Um, so just that as a whole evolving in that style into the traditionally drawn uh, panels into the strips is actually what we have. And before anime became super popular, the big pioneer for animation was D Walt Disney when they were like in 1915 or something like that. They had mm -hmm. a huge movie and, you know, they had, you know, anime in Japan had to catch up to that hype that was made by Walt Disney. It takes lots of decades to reach that level. Well, um, and I think if you look through history, like um, even with how Miyazaki films, yep. um, 
like creators at Pixar absolutely love how Miyazaki and he absolutely loves them back. And you, if whenever we you watch those films, you'll see little Easter eggs that both creators put in to their movies to kind of pay homage to the work that they're done. And um, early starting like manga and animation in Japan did have that Walt Disney theme to it. Um, it had that very kind of like the whimsical big eyes, um, everything that you would associate with Disney, you could definitely see reflected in Japanese styles back in the, um, 1910s and twenties. Yeah. And, you know, during this time, the biggest uh, media was actually print media and comic strips were the big selling, um, medium before uh, the video and animation started. Because in the early 1900s, movies were mostly silent films. They could only produce uh, soundless and colorless uh, wheels on tape that would just play the footage of what you shot. That's what cinematography was. And, you know... In America, we had comics, but mostly it was just political cartoons during that time, yeah. too. The huge political cartoon campaign was very vital because everyone would read it and know exactly like what that meant. The donkey and the elephant being on the symbols of whatever was going on at that time being reflected in the political cartoon. They're not used as much now, but they were used as much back then because of print media dominating uh, news and sharing information and getting access to information. This is the time when film and real was very limited. You can only go like to the theater to watch a motion picture like a silent film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's because of these changes in these different decades with technology that we see a lot of the different styles that have come along. Um, and so they went from doing like the drawing and the panels. And once they actually could get into um, having production teams to make these like very short animations or these small clips, that's when you saw uh, kind of like the real beginning rise of, of anime in Japan. Um, and back then, especially like in the 50s and 60s, the the style that was used was face having detail, maybe some of the clothes having detail, but simple stilled backgrounds that did not move. Um, and that had a very like, kind of like very clear to see sharp line from the active moving portions of the animation. Um, and you also and had it, individual frames were like copied to save money and to save budgeting as well. Mm-hmm. So we repeat like similar motion frames to save the production cost and to eliminate to make it easier. A great a great example. This isn't a nineteen fifties or sixties anime. Um, but think of if you've ever watched Saint Seiya, you'll start to notice that all of the punches and actual hitting scenes are kind of yeah. the same sequence. They might just change the location um, and then add a like a visual effect on top of that still background. But that's yeah. a very popular style. Um, also, they they never put a lot of detail in areas like their knees, their elbows, their feet, like their hands. Anything that was constantly moving, most of the time animators have that as basic as possible. Um, and use the face, and that's why anime faces have such a iconic hold throughout all the generations because they that's where they put most attention into it. And when they did the uh, static movements, they would basically have like joints, so they would move slightly at the joint. Mm-hmm. And they would use that slight movement as the main movement associated with the character, which I think is kind of interesting because smart. you know. If they can't like draw in detail what they're going to do, they can slightly draw something that like is reminiscent of them moving. Or it, you know, and you know, humans move on joints, so like it makes sense to draw the joints because it's easy to, to indicate movement through the joints. 
I think it was mainly like production wise. I yeah. I can imagine just how exhausting it is to to do just one panel or to do one scene. Um, and no, to yeah. make these kind of like repeated movements, very tiny and increment. It's like uh, once people started to just like get into claymation and then that was the biggest thing on the DVDs back in the day was like how they made it um, in like the production little video that they would have. And oh, it would show them. you how, oh, I love those. Like oh, especially for Caroline and Chicken oh. Run. Oh, just great. Just just so oh. so artistic, so patient. <laughs> so okay, so things so claymation you have to take into consideration is that it's very easy to spend a lot of time to change the features in the clay itself, move the character, to simulate the movement. It's like a really advanced form of stop frame animation. Which stop frame animation is good. I filmed it. It's really hard to film because it's so tedious. But claymation takes it up a notch in the advanced motions and detail of the face and like you had to take a stencil, mark out an eye, you know, or if they're tearing up, you had to put like a little piece of clay, like a blue tear or something on the bottom to indicate that they're tearing up. So like you like it's basically playing with play doh, but like you put it, you structure it and make it as a sculpture mini sculpture in the moving of the character. Yeah. It takes people who have a very keen eye. Um and and it's it's absolutely insane. Um but but for um anime itself, there was a huge shift that came along um primarily because of Astro Boy, which is oh. one of the like biggest biggest animes, like great staple piece. Um, And it was created by Tezuka Osamu. Um, And the reason it's revolutionary is because, one, of course, everybody knows Astro Boy. He has the big eyes um, and these, like, kind of, like, not robotic features, but he has this suit on. He has very sharp hair. Very, like, it kind of does remind you still of that Walt Disney um, aesthetic that's added to it, which is what he has a testament to as an artist. and, uh, and so, after during this time was the first mainstream anime too. Mm-hmm. This it was the leading you know, one. It, it, it was like it's a pioneer in its field that it actually got an international release. So it was in the sixties in a North American audience on uh, I think Fox Century had it. I believe they put it on Fox and then just kept it. No NBC. NBC had the viewing rights. That's kind of cool. Yeah. He um and he he did all of the iconic styles that we know of um for OG anime. So um for Sheenan um genre, which is kind of like what you would see with Astro Boy, all the way over to Shonen. Um he like he's created shows, of course, Astro Boy. He has Dorodoro. Um yeah, and created like Phoenix. By the way, the dubbing mm-hmm. of that NBC made it have a, a girlfriend to make it easier, which is smart. And it's um, it's the yeah. same thing that was used for uh, Spirited Away, which is yeah. how that ended up winning Academy Award. Is that they learned if you don't create a dub, um, a very good dub, uh, so American audience can follow along to what's happening. Um, you lose out on a lot of viewership. You also lose out on a lot of popularity. Oh, yeah. uh, but um, Tezuka, because of his drawing style, he added a bit more details when it came to the outfits, when it came um, to the backgrounds, as well as like color schemes. And also, this was a time when sci-fi and everything kind of robotic and space-like, that was geared more so towards kids. And Astro Boy was kind of like that perfect mix between the two of them. It had like yeah, the childlike child, like, wonderment. Of robots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was our 50s. That was our 60s. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. I think it was like 60s, 70s uh, that yep. came with, with Astro Boy. But that's where you see the color really coming in. And you start seeing those iconic features like the big eyes, the very exaggerated hair. And like expression, so the fun whimsicalness of Disney 
but like yep. something new that came from Japan. Um, and also and then, drawing the character with exaggerated facial expressions is a ploy that has been used for a very long time. It's the ploy that they like silent films will use since they cannot don't do words in color. They have to do it through the acting and exaggerate the um the action being perceived and of course text bubbles on the side. Oh no, what did you do? Stuff like that. But they have to be like like over the top acting. Like this is like the type of acting that you see now is that you'd be cringe to see. But that's the equivalent of like instead of when you see it in a movie, it's like acting in a movie between acting on stage. One, you have to be a bit more exaggerated to kind of also make what's happening mix. There is this weird sense of like yeah. uh, abstract realism that comes in oh, with yeah. anime um, and other art forms. So I that I think that's why so many people fall in love with it, especially when you're younger and you get into anime. Um, it yeah. unlocks like a part of your creativity that you're like, oh, yeah. we can do we can have these kind of worlds. And it's it's awesome. It's a reason why voice actors also have to exaggerate the voice to be able to play the character because they're not being seen. They're only impelling the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and then we had the next big turn that came to anime, especially in the animation style, is Gundam. Um, with Gundam that came in the late 1970s um, and yeah. 80s, every rendition of Gundam that came out for, I think, about 20 years added something new to um, the anime genre in the anime industry that wasn't there before. This was coming with new technologies. This was also a big shift because again, Astro Boy kind of represented like sci-fi and youth and fun. Um, Mm -hmm. But as we started to get a little bit further into the future, you had movies like Akira, you had Gundam, Um, And these added darker aspects to the sci-fi world that kind of gave them a bit more of adult theme. Um, And everyone also loves robots. So so I think that's uh, what really took it off. Of of mechanized animation took such a spin that now entire departments were dedicated just to animate the mecha fighting scenes of the robots and mm-hmm. the vehicles being implemented. It's really like just to have a special department dedicated to that craft to make the mechanicalized element come alive and be very detailed is very reminiscent of the attention to detail that anime is portraying through the evolution process of visualization. Yeah. Because um, Gundam was the, kind of the first anime that decided to start incorporating not just attention to details overall, like with the transformation scene that we saw. Um, you can also see stuff like that in Akira. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the technologies, the small, minute details that make the world come alive, but also making it so the background wasn't like a green screen. It wasn't like a backdrop that never moved. Um, Gundam was amazing at layering in their animation to make everything feel alive and make you feel like, oh, we're actually fighting to the death and they are moving. They are zipping through the sky. Um, And that took a lot of time. It took a lot of time and great teams. Overlapping and laying uh, different types of animations on top of it to make, let's say you're drawing a person walking. Well, you have to incorporate point A and point B in the movement of the character walking. So you, have, you slowly draw them walking in one direction. You stop, you put that as a layer. One, another step is another layer. Mm-hmm. If their head turns, that's a layer. You know, if they're talking to somebody, that's a la- Like, if they're on the phone, that's another layer. Because you keep adding more details to that layering process and you at the end of point A to point B in five minutes, you could have maybe equivalent 2,500 or more layers 
depending on how detailed you want it to be. And yeah. so it goes to show you that layering effects takes a lot of time. And, you know, there's a reason why most budget anime studios only make 20 minutes of an episode. That's the format, usually. Yeah. And, and, um, and you have to remember where it started um, back in what, what was it, like 1917 or whatever? for the first actual anime to come out and only be two minutes long, for them to get up to making 20, 25-minute episodes is insane with how much madness was happening throughout the decades following um, the very first release. So once you hit the about the late 70s, uh, mid-80s, this is where you're getting a lot of sci-fi. This is where you're getting a lot of more adult themes coming into anime. Um, but then we're also seeing the very cool mix of not only influences from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, but when the 90s hit, that's when you got shows like um, Trigun, and you got shows like um, Cowboy Bebop. You got Berserk. All of these shows we're sitting there um, like Revolutionary Girl, Utina. All of these shows brought in multiple decades of themes, but made very iconic, very palpable um, shows and storylines that you could follow around. And then they also, they had the attention to detail. Uh, they had new technology where it wasn't just pen and paper. Um, we were getting more and more into the digital age and this is them being essentially right on the crux of it all. So the way that they were able to do their production studios and make adjustments to their production studios completely changed going into the early 90s, 2000s. So we have like uh, CGI advancements and mm -hmm. 3D animation. And CGI is computer grace graphics, computer generated. And when you do those types of graphics, not only can you add extra details, but you can also, let's say you have a drawing of someone throwing a frisbee. Well, with CGI, you can add, you're throwing a frisbee and there's a UFO in the distance. You can add something digitally and actually have something added to it that you can change. Same thing with 3D animation. It's not yeah. the sense it's more like a kit uh you try to do like the 3d feel i do not like the 3d feel it's it's i can't yeah. <laughs> i hate it okay. so much that 3D is that animation so berserk. oh okay, 3D berserk. animation is a lot cheaper than to do traditional drawing and we can tell <laughs> we can tell with all the raging and everyone knows it. Everyone has had that very uncanny valley feeling. I think a great example is um oh uh was it B Stars? B Stars on Netflix. Um came out 2019, season one, I think tw season two came out 2020. Um, but in the show they switch between 2D and 3D, but they it's probably the smoothest I've seen. Lately, but really bad examples, like I said, is Berserk. Um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure will do it to you for no reason. Um, but 3D animation, it can it can work, and it's a very good technical style once you, they get it down right. But it has so many kind of like janky video game comparisons yeah. that it it mm, it can pull you out of the story, and so you know how hard. Yeah. 3D animation, the best thing that it captures is action-type anime. Like, the action sequences is a lot more easier to digest, because drawing in the traditional animation with action sequences is actually a lot more difficult. So the 3D animation can provide the action sequences a lot, lot more smoother. But it's still very limited because what the 3D animation can't do to the traditional animation is that the traditional animation, the very 
very attention to detail of the 3D. It seems it can seem blurry at times because of the angles and changing momentum. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my it's... 3D animation, I'll watch the show even with 3D animation. It doesn't now it has to be like really bad animation to me, like to be they clean. have some really bad ones for the more popular shows, I think is the main thing. I think that's the same way with um like how anime movies are good, but then when they, when they make them like live action, you're like, oh, you're so close, but it's still distracting. <laughs> it's like I don't like the choices you made, but here we are. So you you could still watch it. I just I personally I think that some things probably just look better um, with being hand drawn or digitally drawn, um, even I if it does take a C- bit longer. I'm I'm rather have C- CGI mostly. Because those actually add more effects to the traditional drawing than opposed to 3D animation. The CGI actually can be really good. Like that's oh, I'm what not doubting that. action movies really good because of CGI. That's the yeah, I'm not doubting can... that. I but I do think depend is execution overall. I think all of these are really good styles. I just think execution overall. Is what can have some of like the great hits and then some of the that happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, the mecha dominated for like 20 years and it revolutionized the medium in storytelling, world building, in different ways that we didn't really think would be possible. Well, for me, I think that mecha probably transitions better. Um, if we're going to do 3D uh, or CGI effects to it, yeah. I think that once, that's why I said it's more uncanny valley than just mm-hmm. being straight bad because you can tell the difference, especially when you get used to watching anime um, and then you're seeing them go from having almost like, yeah, they have a flat look to them and they have dimensions to them, but then to them being almost like popping out of the screen. I think those are two different effects that are very visible and a lot more so when it's not Mecca. Oh, yeah. Mecca, Mecca ones, that's fine. I'll never have a problem with them using like CGI or 3D or whatever for Mecca. They use 3D animation. I have to be... No, no, I think 3D animation with Mecca would be like kind of bad. They do better with CGI in my... Because then it just... Basically, be a video game graphics, and not going to lie, video game animation is, if it's done really, if it's done right, you can spend millions of dollars on that project to make that game. It's mind blowing because gaming industry has more money than the anime for some odd reason. I don't think that makes them smarter sometimes, though. No, I don't think they're smarter. It's just they have this huge budget that anime doesn't have. Like you that, can spend, That's it's true. Common, it's common to spend like $10 million plus on a video game. But anime doesn't, you know, barely have that budget to to meet the demand. Well, I think that's just also based on how technology developed and also mm-hmm. popularity for both. Like, they're two completely different things. Yeah. So one is much more widespread. And, it's, it's, and the thing is, is that you don't really have to do anything besides, you know, change um, the language when video games are created. And that can be it. Like, you don't even need voice actors for a good bit of the old school video games. So I can definitely see where the difference is some of them are just churning out money they 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 do not put hard into it they're just churning out money but oh, yeah and japan doesn't help that they are known for a very limited budget like they are a very small operation as an island while the united states has more more capital than japan well 
yeah, United States has more capital, but also the Japan has a smaller demographic, so it has a very niche competitive field in anime. So I can see how the studios have limited funds because of the small percentage every rival company is taking from the industry. Not just that. Like, it wasn't really until the 90s came along. Like, Gundam definitely helped propel the popularity of, of anime. And then, naturally, of course, we also got things like Dragon Ball Z, Pokemon, and Sailor Moon, which are three heavy hitters, iconic for all time, and also Akira. Um, if it wasn't for creations of these very well-known and almost like starter pack um, animes, we wouldn't have gotten it to the popularity to get to America to like actually do the streaming. Um, we wouldn't have gotten our Crunchyroll and Funimation streaming services. We definitely wouldn't have gotten Toonami because Toonami was early 2000s, like early mid 2000s. And that came from that, um, the 80s shock with Akira and we had Gundam. And then once the 90s hit um, where they were able to bring the funness back into anime. I think for a period of time, anime got kind of dark. Um, they brought like the whimsical back to it and they brought back in the fighting. That's how all the shonens got really big and um, studio started going in that direction. And and now it's, now it's everybody knows about anime and everybody likes it now. But it's, it's definitely not something that had the same trajectory path, I think that you could say for other things that made it get money and grow. Because once the world became connected, like that was it. I don't think it mattered the size of the country. Yeah, you know. I mean, like the transition from the 90s to the early 2000s was like very pivotal for anime because not only did we have the success of the 90s carrying on to the next general, next century, but, like, it, as time, as the technology advanced, like, for example, Star Wars, the reason why certain movies were not made, and Avatar as, as well, is that the advancement of technology had to come to be available to make such production of a mass scale. So when we get into the early 2000s, the animation technology that they have is wide more available so studios can now exhibit those characteristics and the advancements of technology to use to make the process a lot easier and, you know, one, one to two episodes per week and start pumping it out in the production sense. Absolutely. I mean, you even see it with remakes, um, like, uh, what is it, uh, Full Metal Alchemist, when it first came out, the original one, and then they remade it years later. One, because they uh, actually finished the manga, so they didn't go ahead of the story. But then also, two, they were able to add in, um, like, new artistic liberties that weren't there before, and also change the story up. But you can see how different the quality level is, the clarity, the definition of lines and um and backgrounds, those are those are things that came along especially with the digital age and with the growth in um just technology itself. It's been amazing. And also through other adaptations of the same name or of that type, you also had OVA, original video animation. Studios would use the original video technique as to either do extra episodes as a special or release certain shows in a like independent agency type format. Mm -hmm. So with with OVA, you not only did you have like extra benefits that you didn't have in the original anime, you also had exclusive OVAs that were only for that anime that had actually had that fit 
that the general market at the time didn't have. You could release an OVA independently and not have to get it. Like you can have it unrated and people will buy it because they know that fans of that, whatever you're selling, can actually buy it for the underrated mocking uh, campaign. Yeah. And What's your opinion of OVA? I like OVAs. I mean, I think that especially with when um, the internet started to be coming so that people could like clutch onto and actually go on and look up their stuff. That's all um, that you saw, like especially on like OG YouTube, uh, OVAs, and then like of course the three part clips for one episode were mainly that's what flooded up um, the internet at the time. And I don't know, I like seeing um, things that are kind of slightly different from what you would see just while watching. So it's or just watching just the one season itself. It just adds oh, yeah. a little bit more. And then, like, of course, you have like the movies and then the manga, and you could just essentially overdose yourself in these different ways to help with these characters that you had come to know from wherever their story started. And also, I mean, um, once the like nineties and two thing that they added to kind of shift the way that uh, anime was seen and also how they did retelling, they, there was like the vibrancy of colors and the changing of palettes that you see so much more color oh, yeah. um, than you've seen before. And then also lighting. Uh, the 90s were, were really good at adding a psychological level uh, oh, to yeah. the works that they had. Um, Neon Genesis, I think, is the heavy hitter when it comes to psychological anime. And then ever since then, you've yep. just had um, stories that, even if they were stories that were slice of life, yeah. or if they were action, or if they were drama, whatever it may be, they do. Um, and then, of course, once the music started getting licensed to go with certain, it just added a, yep. a whole nother piece. So it wasn't just an oh, yeah. around having. And also with uh, lighting, you can actually over flood the lighting stages of the anime. So you have to actually keep it balanced. Otherwise, you have like a probing effect. Probing lighting is like a disclaimer that, you know, people with sensitivity and be alerted and the animation style can bring it out just like a real life movie. With mm -hmm. I think the Oh, you gone? And Poling yes. is one of them. And flipping Polygon coming up in the uh, the the computer atmosphere is kind of interesting because you have like probing a light going all the way around. It was it was mess. It was all messy. Yeah. Um, strobe lights and and people having like actual actual uh, seizures from watching a show. That, I don't think that was ever a thought that went through the mind of the animation studios. Um, but then once yeah. it happened, um, and then you start seeing it happening again and again. And of course, they would try and maybe put warnings on stuff, but a very big effect and something that has always been really hard hitting the anime is that uh, like the kind of like flashing lights, the spinning of lights, and the, like the duality of the two, um, regardless of what's going on, it adds an extra fit so once once that became like an actual issue that was seen i think they have become a lot better at still being able to kind of add shock and uh distortion and all of that to their scenes without you know their viewers falling out um or having issues 
but oh, yeah. it didn't, and I mean, and then we've reached a time of now, the 2010s, the 2020s, where because we have so much technology, there's been more popping up of studios, there's been more animations, anime shows created that fight scenes alone are insane. Oh, yeah. Absolutely insane. I think the oh, most yeah. recent one that has people like, oh, that's that is iconic and that's really new is definitely Demon Slayer. Definitely <laughs> Demon Slayer. Yeah. Like and you can't even deny it. They are it's very good. It's 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 amazing. Oh yeah. And then you have like uh, you know, the studio platform of like the eighties, like Studio Gainax. Gain a lot of popularity. So is the Studio Ghibli. The independent mm-hmm. Studio Gamex just by itself influenced how, okay, well, if you're a studio, you actually can do this, take charge, like buy original content and actually be successful with it. Studio Ghibli did that and was, you know, we see like 10 to 15 plus titles and they take lots of Consideration of detail, storytelling, artistic value, the just the overall color palette being portrayed, the theme, the characters being relatable. They take so much time to plan out. Like it can take two to three years just to get it where they want it, and then shoot. You know, do the animation style with it. They take a lot of time between projects to do that. I think it's really good for them to do that because the projects they have released have been so much heavy hitters one after the other. Yeah, and there's there's probably what like anywhere from like twelve to fifteen yeah. of the really big animation studios that basically any any popular anime you can think of they've they've taken on. And yeah. created it. The worst thing I think we, we people see is like when um, a show goes from one studio to another. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you'll see the difference in in production that, value. Yeah. That can hurt. That's outsource. So outsourcing to studios is common because, uh, particularly if they have like creative differences with one studio, they can outsource it to another studio and actually. Do well, some of them, yeah, some also, of them aren't even outsourcing. They're oh, just yeah. selling the contract. They're selling um yeah. the uh, production rights because that's what yeah. that's what happened with One Punch Man. Oh yeah, that and don't tough. forget, uh, you know, the launch of Dragon Ball Z. You have to talk about Funimation. Funimation mm-hmm. only existed because of Dragon Ball Z. I mean, Dragon Ball as a whole. When they launched the Dragon Ball franchise. They had a huge property that gave them a bunch of revenue. And from that revenue, they became a licensing uh, personnel in America. That's how they like be this big uh, company that can license different anime and put it on their catalog. Country Roll didn't start out like that. Country Roll started as uh, Iversy. They would take a legal anime, stream it on a website, and somehow they had so much success that they actually went legal. And now they were a big name of a huge anime catalog. Yeah, because Crunchyroll is kind of the one you um you would probably find online, but Funimation was what you saw on TV. And they had the like old, like it still had the same opening logo, which was like the Funimation, kind of like this like shooting star that comes out. But it would, it would used to, it was, it's so funny because it would always like, it would appear on the screen and it would be like, Funimation, you should be watching. And you're like, I am, I am watching <laughs> oh Funimation. Gosh. Thank you so much. And so that, but that's what you saw for yeah. every single anime that streamed. Um, mm-hmm. And with, of course, again having access to technology in a whole new scale than what people oh, had yeah. 60 80 years ago because anime has been around for over 100 years having it in your house and being able to watch just turn on the tv 
And if it's not playing in the early mornings on like the weekends, then it's playing in the afternoons or evenings at your house during the weekdays. And this helped grow the, like the spread of it. There's also, and then it's like a uptick in fan response, which also made changes to animation styles, how characters were drawn, um, proportions for body shapes. Uh, Anime used to be, God, it, for some reason, there was something about having like very thin but very long legged characters with long arms and like kind of like smallish heads, very strange proportions. But they have evened yeah. that out and made them more atomically, I guess, like appealing, even if, yeah. a, of course, a lot of the body shapes are improbable by yeah. normal standards they fit better <laughs> and that that is something i think all people can agree with when it comes to anime they have made the bodies look a little bit more uh realistic at least human wise um of yeah. course for everything else crazy and dramatic even oh, yeah. one piece is really good at it and they <laughs> still keep that old school like um 70 80s very long body aesthetic and another thing that anime industry overcame was the huge uh, low point of anime at one point in the early 2000s. Uh, The early 2000s and the late 90s, the only way you could stream anime was either if it came on TV, you would miss the episode, you would tape the episode. You would literally Mm -hmm. put in the VCR, your digital medium to watch it was on VCR. So everyone would try to record the VCR and if your region did not get that anime, people would go uh, VCR, record it on the VCR, and then upload it to the internet and actually have a legal version of that anime. So you would basically watch like on forums online of whatever the person recorded, that's what's the anime you watch. And you can see the, like the commercial breaks in the episode being recorded live. And it's a good thing that anime recovered from that because it, they lost so much profits through piracy and people uh, fan dubbing their content that eventually they were able to navigate into a very successful streaming platform that we have today and actually streaming exclusively yeah streaming exclusively basically gives a lot more profit to the uh, studios as well because now you can track the individual revenue the individual views the marketing the commercials in between blocking of the website whatever extra revenue goes to them and they get this cut in the profits yeah, because um, especially when uh, the anime online was basically nothing but the YouTube clips that I talked about earlier or just streaming sites, it was very hard for um, companies in Japan to get like any revenue or shares outside of, of course, what was being shown on TV because they, again, so far away, the world was connected, the internet was there. But it wasn't, it's not like how it is now. Um, It wasn't as fast acting and you still had so much time and distance between countries. Um, And we were also gravely behind. Uh, In the US, I don't think it was until about 2010s that people actually were starting to be able to catch up with current anime episodes that were airing in Japan. Because I remember... I think it was like for maybe Naruto or Dragon Ball. But like here in the US, we were having like a field day with whatever season was out. And then like somebody like alerted the people of our age, like, y'all know they already finished that arc like five years ago in Japan, like so far behind because it was finally coming over like bit by bit. Um, But now, like when Dragon Ball Super dropped, Every like you could stream it online and go to company sites and sign up and watch the episodes in real time when they were dropping in Japan. Yeah, in twenty-four it's, hour it's awesome. casting. Yeah, you actually had access to twenty-four hour casting, and that is a huge deal because you get early access. 
Like it was great. In, instead of, of like, was fun. I think it's like one day after it's released that you. It, get it like, was. I think it was like twelve hours. Yeah. Like they gave it to you like almost the next day. Yeah. But you had it it was definitely like it would be nighttime for us. <laughs> we got it and they had already watched it, but like it was still a lot of fun. So yeah. I think I think we hit the the whole whole timeline. Oh yeah. And you know with particularly anime, it's a medium Hmm. It's a medium that shares individuality and uh, portrayal of characterization and how it interrelates into plot and storytelling. What do you think? Um, for me, I think anime, just like all other forms of art and storytelling, I do think that it is something that is an acquired taste. I think that there is a story out there for everyone. And I think there's also a style of drawing that's out there for everyone. I know people who cannot watch old school anime, like stuff from the 70s and 80s. They they hate how it's drawn or um, the over-exaggeration cringiness, as you would say, from it. And then there's people who don't have much interest in the newer ones. They kind of miss that old school nostalgia feel to it. But it offers something for everybody. Um, it just takes time to kind of figure out what that is. And if you're lucky, um, oh. people will recommend stuff to you and you can check it out and you can find what you love. Me, I love 90s animes. Uh, they get very repetitious after a while. The <laughs> they get very... Yeah, yeah, so Lee is the 90s chick. I am I'm, all well over the place. I can watch a movie from the 70s and watch something from the 2000s. As long as the story is good, I can follow along. The animation can, can be completely jawing, but if it's a good story, I'll follow along with it. Like The animation is not like, a huge deal for me. I know there's like, limitations and time periods of anime looking different and budget. It's not the quality, it's about the no, oh, it's actually the quality of the story. The quality of the animation like the story can be should probably be good stuff. I mean no like as but my point is if I actually like the plot, I'll be interested more. Very few times I just randomly watch an anime without reading the plot. Like, yeah. I don't see myself what like ego to like that first impression to like get into it more than likely I won't finish it even if I like start enjoying the content of the episodes I'll probably forget about it and then come back or not come back at all it really depends on what I have in my mind and also um, with anime as a whole I think the you know the animation from the 70s to the animation now, I don't really feel like there's a major difference in, like... I mean, of course, there's a difference of technology-wise. But, like, mm -hmm. I also feel that the, the effort that they did back then is so much totalized what we have now. Because they don't necessarily put maybe not as much effort into it, they can just have like good enough animation and then you know, or they have like really good animation, the storytelling's not there. There's like there's different things that Well that's any decade. Yeah, I'm not gonna I know. I'm not gonna downplay what the current year is and what oh, we yeah. currently have just because old school like seventies and sixties folks had to use pen and paper. Or they have to use oh. different means. Yeah, I think if a story is good and the animation style is good and the voice acting is good, then oh, yeah. I'll watch it and I can get into it. I find 90 shows kind of hit all three of those more so for me. Yeah. You can find some really bad voice acting, though, in some 90 shows. Some really, really bad <laughs> voice acting. 
or like sound effects or special effects that are way off time. <laughs> You're I mean, like, all right. I guess you I got mean, hit. <laughs> even if there's bad voice acting, I'll still watch it if it's a good story. Like, mm, there are okay. some things that will knock me out of the story. And I'm just like, I tried. I tried. Yeah, I will you... give it a chance, but it doesn't mean yeah. I'm going to finish. <laughs> okay, which 90s anime will you not watch at all? You just can't stand it. Do I have one? That I, I mean, as the as one that's like stupid drawing, like either the effects or the voice acting, just you just can't watch it. Um... I don't have one off the top of my head. I don't have one I hate off the top of my head. Oh, okay. Fine. I like guess I'm we try- make you watch reruns of Dexter's Lab. No, what is Dexter's Laboratory? <laughs> yeah, make you watch Dexter's Laboratory. That's not even a punishment. <laughs> I love Dexter's <laughs> Laboratory. I love that show. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, like, man. I actually looked up worst animes from the 90s. Oh, and, on, and a lot of these I have suppressed. So, you know what? Which one's on yeah. that list? Let's see. We have Garzy's Wing, um, oh. which is known to be the worst anime ever made because the English dub was really bad. And... Um, it's a isekai where a kid ends up. His name is Bison. That's not okay. Whatever. He becomes a legendary warrior. He has no skills. Terrible at his job. Um, and then for some reason, there's another version of himself that lives in the real world that he can talk to. And they say that it makes. That it doesn't sound that bad, but I can see if they. But they described it as nonsensical. Which oh. I feel like it when you know when like when anime fans are like this makes no sense. We we probably yeah. Like logically speaking, does shows in general have to make sense? Like, I, I if don't you know. can get lost, yeah. If you can get lost in w- at least what's happening on screen, like um, like for me when I watched Hitman Reborn last week, and I had. Literally no idea why there was an assassin baby. Nobody decided to explain it. They still haven't explained it. I'm halfway through the season. Why is there a baby assassin? Why are there more than one? Somebody they explained that a lot later in this in the series. I I know, like I know you. We've talked about it. It's just it's upsetting me that there's a baby assassin, and it's the biggest question, and only the main protagonist has asked, like, Suna has been the only one to be like, so we're going to address this baby with a gun? And everyone's just like, that's adorable. <laughs> all right, Suna, get out there and go fail. And it's like, okay, all right. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, you know, the anime that, for me, that I can't follow, mm. It's where the plot is so bad they don't know what to do with it. If the literally the the one detail I would take is the plot. If it's just like Spice of Life, you really have to like tell me the plot on Spice of Life. I don't generally watch Spice of Life, so you like have to sell me the plot that's like not a generic form of Spice of Life, but like. Conrad. The plot with Conrad is way more than what Spice of Life typically has. And that's why I watched it. So that is my my input on this. So. Well, Conrad's a good show. It just makes you cry a lot. I love Conrad, though. It's like it goes into deep emotional content. It's just. I I like Conrad. I like Clan Ad, but one time I did go on a road trip with a group of friends, and one of them, for some reason, decided to sit in the back of the car and just watch season two of Clan Ad on headphones. So she just cried as we drove for like <laughs> hours. 
hours. And I was just like, turn it off. He's like, I gotta know what happens next. Like, messing up the vibe, man. Trying to play music to like overshadow her crying. We look like terrible friends. Wait, was it, was it was it was she a she or a he? It was a she. Oh my god. So it's just her in the back. And like the rest of the car is filled with us. We're all like singing and dancing. And we're like, yeah, in the USA, having a great time. And she's just sobbing in the back. So many red lights, so many awkward looks. And we're just like, just turn it off. And she would not turn it off. So I get it. Claire has a great show, but <laughs> I've got PTSD in the wrong way. I've got the wrong PTSD. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, also individual experience of anime <laughs> really drives how you can enjoy it like yeah you know, the bonding moments with this is the first anime i actually watched with my parents like that's the impact it had on me or this was the anime that got me through this bad breakup you know stuff like that is very synonymous with favorite shows and at particular points in your life if that happens it carries a big impact on you remembering that anime for that reason. Mm-hmm. And, and also, it, it just paints memories like music does. Oh, yeah. Like music is the same way. Like it reflects the genre, it reflects the decade, it reflects the, the atmosphere at that time. It, it's anime like a is the same thing. Your life. Yeah. Now, like, I think. Uh, the best time capsule that anime can give is the war, like literally after World War Two. That is the best time capsule that anime can give us because they're showing the propaganda okay. of their vision of who won the war, of how the Americans were interposing on them. They were not imposing on others. It's like a big they show more than once how they felt inflicted with that campaign. So you can actually go back, watch something of that time period with that propaganda, propaganda campaign and see the time capsule that it, it, it is for the anime it represents. Yeah, what do you think of anime true. as a time capsule? Um... I do think of it as a time capsule, especially for after the World Wars and even during the World Wars, um, how they were utilized. But I think for following after that, especially for like the 80s and yeah. 90s, I think it's a great representation kind of in the unchaining of the human like mind and creativity. You get to see just what people were able to do from only being utilized by the government essentially or oh, yeah. only being released being released if the government yeah. approved of it to seeing all these mm -hmm. crazy yeah seeing all these crazy things and the representation of cyberpunk of living in this kind of oh, dystopian world and uh, it's it's wonderful we'll have to do an episode on cyberpunk oh gosh that would be really cyberpunk if we do that as an episode we'd be like Diving into the all the anti anything against the world, just full on tsunami of like negative emotions. Oh yeah, I'm definitely gonna wear like a turtleneck with tiny glasses <laughs> to like really get myself into my art brain when we talk about it. But the the thing is everyone loves cyberpunk everyone loves cyberpunk in some way it's oh. represented through some of the most popular forms of media and i think anime is clearly the reason why um so we thank japan for that and it's the way it's kind of adapted and changed the way even humans think about the world around them insanity yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I feel like the style of anime changes through the lens of what it, in the time period, the effects of production, the different advances in technology, 
all of that influences what anime is and what anime could be. Yeah. Any, any final moments about the stylized, um, the evolution of stylization in anime and visual? I think, yeah, I think that with every decade that's passed and we've watched how anime has kind of grown and blossomed into itself, we've seen just how big of a change has happened in like the last 30, 40 years, even though it's been around for over 100. I think it's only going to grow more in our lifetime. And I'm excited to see what becomes of it. I'm excited to see what the next stage looks like and what new forms the genre itself is going to bring forth. Um, and I love it. I love, I love everything about anime. I love all the madness and I kind of love how it's brought in so many different people together through so many decades. So. All right. Well, that concludes this episode of MC Anime. Uh, Stay tuned for more episodes. And if you want to hear more about the 90s chick Leah, go ahead. We're going to have more, maybe cyberpunk on the horizon to talk about (laughs) that. All right, you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll hear you next time. Have a nice day.